You're listening to Just One of the Guys, where it's good this story is coming to an end for two reasons. One, because it's just not working for me. And two, because I'm running out of songs about being wanted and I don't want to have to resort to playing Cheryl Crow. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 174 of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast hosted by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. My name is Sean Engel, and what I do on this show is cover the Green Lantern comics, specifically those Green Lantern comics starting with cover date June 1990 and ending with cover date November 2004, putting a special emphasis all the while on my favorite Green Lanterns, Kyle Rayner and Guy Gardner. And thankfully, as I mentioned in the intro, we're coming to the end of the Ben Raid run. Yes, this is the penultimate issue before Ben Raid's run is over, and I'm glad for it. Yes, it's been a difficult time covering the Wanted storyline, despite the fact that the idea started out really good. Kyle Rayner going off into space, taking out a space criminal who was related to the previous Green Lantern before Hal Jordan on Earth, Amon Sur, but somehow it just fell apart. I'm not wanting to put the blame on Ben Rabe, but I think I'm going to have to. His writing of certain characters in this book has just been egregiously bad. And I'm sorry that I'm having to forward the show with this, but that's just how I feel. But we've got some interesting things to talk about, some new podcast promos, and some emails from you wonderful listeners, so we'll get to that before we get into our coverage of Green Lantern number 174. Let's finish off the remote, shan't we? Yes, we shall. Proudly presents. We hope that it will be unlike anything else on this earth. Golf courses, campgrounds, stores, hotels. Earning my ears. A once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for everyone who participates. We're ready to go right now. Earning my ears, a Walt Disney World-centric podcast, is available monthly at twotruefreaks.com. In Country has re-upped for another tour, and we've been reassigned. Now you can find this complete look at Marvel Comics' The Nom on the Two True Freaks Network. So join me, Tom Panneries, for In Country, a podcast covering Marvel Comics' The Nom, 
every two weeks at twotruefreaks.com. You've decided to go to a nearby restaurant. You ask the hostess to seat you in a booth. As you sit, you notice an animated conversation among the four seated behind you. They're talking about Star Wars and Doctor Who and something called the Laugh Olympics. These are the people you used to pants in high school. And yet, you cannot help listening. Unable to tear your ears away, you realize you've just been sucked into the Dinner for Geeks. Dinner for Geeks, weekly at twotruefreaks.com. Hey listeners, it's Ryan Daly here to give you an exciting sneak peek at the Secret Origins podcast, a review show dedicated to the post-crisis Secret Origins comics. Secret Origins told or retold or occasionally reimagined the origins of many of DC's legendary superheroes, including Superman, Batman, The Flash, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Jonah Hex, Nightwing, Plastic Man, Batgirl, Blackhawk, Black Lightning, Booster Gold, Detective Chimp, The Legion of Superheroes, and a hundred others. But I won't be alone in my coverage of these epic stories. I'm bringing the best and brightest and irredeemablest guest stars from the blogosphere and podcast community, such as Chris Franklin from the Supermates podcast. I think this is a great idea for a podcast, and I wish I thought of it first, but it's in good hands. Chris and I are going to be reviewing the first issue of Secret Origins, which tells the story of the Golden Age Superman. And now, Chris, I don't know if this has ever come up before on your own show, but would you say you're much of a Superman fan? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I am definitely a Superman fan. Uh, Superman, the movie, is still my favorite movie of all time. That's my Star Wars. I don't remember a time when I didn't know who Superman was. Tim Wallace from Court Industries, a blog devoted to Blue Beetle. My friends, my close friends, would probably tell you that Aquaman was my favorite hero, and they wouldn't be too far off from the truth, but there was already a pretty decent blog covering Aquaman, so I went for my number two, which was which was Blue Beetle. And this issue actually has a lot to do with uh, why he's one of my favorites. Luke Giaconetti from the Hawkman blog being Carter Hall in the Earth Destruction Directive podcast. Thank you for having the, the enthusiasm to talk about Halo, because this is not a character that I know much about. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the oddballs in that I'm an Outsiders fan who doesn't like the Teen Titans. So I, I figure I'm, I'm pretty much required to do my, my, uh, you know, my due diligence in defending the members of the Outsiders team, especially one of the originals. Siskoid from Siskoid's Blog of Geekery and the Hero Points podcast. One of the subjects I keep returning to is Golden Age superheroes. I like exploring the, the history of comics, and especially DC Comics, which has the biggest load of, uh, of Golden Age heroes. In Secret Origins is full of these because Roy Thomas wrote, um, you know, half the series or so, and just like he wrote a lot of Golden Age heroes and brought Golden Age heroes to the um, to our attention in the '80s, which was when I started reading comics. And of course, Rob Kelly from the Fire and Water podcast. The plan was all this time, once we finished Who's Who, we were going to do the Secret Origin series. 
that was our next ga- our next uh, big project. And you have swooped in and stolen it. And I'm just saying, you better not screw this up. I mean, you're on episode four, and you brought in your biggest guest star yet. But from here, if it's just downhill, I'm going to be really ticked off that you ruined our idea. Mm, I wasn't really listening to any of that. Plus more incredible guests, including Sean Engel, Chad Bokelman, Kyle Benning, Nathaniel Wayne, Paul Scavito, Greg Araujo, Tom Paneris, Doug Zawissa, Aaron Moss, Alan Middleton, Max Romero, Gene Hendricks, Stella, Ange, Diablo Frank, and possibly even more. Join us as we uncover the secret origins of all your favorite DC heroes, except for Wonder Woman, and Aquaman, and Supergirl, and the Huntress, and Red Tornado, and Mira, and Aqualad, and Jon Stewart, the Green Lantern, and Wildcat, and Metamorpho, and Geoforce, and Mr. Terrific, and Snap. The Secret Origins Podcast. And we are back. And what you heard there was a brand new promo for a brand new podcast, The Secret Origins Podcast, hosted by Ryan Daly. Definitely go check that out, not only because Chad Bokeman and I are going to be covering one of the issues coming up, or actually it might be out by the time this is released, in which Chad and I talk about a Green Lantern, a certain Green Lantern that I enjoy, a certain Green Lantern I love. Yes, it's the secret origin of Guy Gardner. Unfortunately, it didn't have art by Brian Pollan in the book, but you know, if it did have art by Brian Pollan, it still would probably be waiting for today to be uh, released. But that was really fun. Ryan does a great show. It was really fun recording that, and I hope you'll go check the podcast out. Really good show. But for now, let's go ahead and check the Just One of the Guys email bag and read some letters. What do you say, Tom Servo? You've got mail. Pattern baldness. <laughs> and once again, it wouldn't be an official Just One of the Guys show if I didn't get an email from my good friend to the Great White North, Mr. Scott Davis. Scott Davis writes in with the title of his email take your nickel back i'm wondering what this is about anyway scott says you played nickelback during the reading of one of my emails i don't know if that's a haha funny or a haha i want to kill you but haha are you trying to torture me you have to make up for it by playing canadian railroad trilogy by gordon lightfoot next time just kidding well if you're listening now scott you probably hear right underneath you the canadian railroad trilogy beautifully voiced by Gordon Lightfoot. Let's take a little listen. But time has no beginnings and the history has no bounds. As to this burdened country, they came from all around. They sailed upon her waterways and they walked the forest tall. Built the mines, mills, and the factories for the good of us all. And when the young man's fancy was turning to the spring. Ah, delightful. But thank you, Scott, for writing in, and I promise if you write in again and aren't completely upset with me, I will not play any more Nickelback. I know for many people that's... That's torture. And I think it's against U.S. foreign policy. So I'll, I'll, I'll keep from playing that. Anyway, we've got a couple of emails from my good friend Luke Giaconetti. One's a quick one that's uh, about Guy Gardner spoilers. That's the title of it. He writes in, Sean, I thought you might want to see this news regarding Guy Gardner. 
and this comes from Newsarama. It's uh, Guy Gardner is going to be starring along with John Stewart in the Green Lantern Lost Army story, and it looks like that Guy is going to be sort of butting heads with John, and he's also in a very Christmassy suit. He's not only a Red Lantern but a Green Lantern at the same time. Has both the rings, I guess, and he doesn't have the. 70s porn stash and long hair anymore so that might be interesting i might have to check that out he also says in the email by the way i talked to the i talked up just one of the guys the gal dressed as gal gardner at heroes Club, and she said she would definitely check it out a new listener right as you're starting the home stretch luke well i'll take any listeners that i can and hopefully if you are listening or if you ever do catch up to this episode uh ma'am who was uh cosplaying as gal gardner at the heroes con thank you for listening to the show and thank you for hopefully staying to the ben ray run it's been trying but we've got one more email from luke since that one was so short this one's entitled the ben ray run so far stifled john luke says sean well 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 it's come to this the much dreaded ben ray run is finally here on just one of the guys I don't have much experience with Rabe's work, primarily the prestige format miniseries Legend of the Hawkman, which is quite good as a Silver Age throwback, but takes a new approach by adding a religious angle to Katar and Shaira's relationship, which was never present previously or since. And his run on Excalibur, which brought back the focus on Roots, which brought the focus back on Roots of the Books after the Warren Ellis run, which a lot of folks fawn over, but I've never warmed to. Not exactly a superstar pedigree, but not Hellfire and Brimstone either. That title is turning to be that the title is turning out to be uneven and sort of listless is not surprising at all to me, as that seemed to be a lot of the comics industry at this time in the U.S. The early post 2000 s were a strange time for comics. Looking over at Mike's Amazing World, I remember the books I bought all the time, but a few of them really stand out. This was more of a transitional time. The industry was finding out what the next era or epoch was going to be. Gone were the trappings of the 90s, love them or hate them, and their place was sort of the general snarky malaise, which was the early 2000s in general. Remember, this was the time when the now essentially abandoned meme of U.S. comics have to be more like manga got its roots, since manga was on the upswing and American comics on the downswing. Time has reversed those trends. This was before the Avengers disassembled essentially ended the traditional Marvel Universe in favor of the Bendis and Company-inspired new blank Marvel Universe. This was also before... Both Identity Crisis jump-started the concept of writing books seemingly specific to incite, a fan, to incite fan internet rage, and Infinite Crisis set the stage for a revised, revamp, and ultimately rebooted DC Universe. That's not to say that all the comics in this era were bad or unremarkable. For instance, Jeff Johns' first run on The Flash was still going strong, with issue 200 having come out. Batman Superman or Superman Batman debuted to much love and fanfare. JMS was handling Amazing Spider-Man before that became a bad thing. I'm certain I can refer you to Andy Leyland about that, who doesn't believe things in that book happened. And of course, you have a little book called The Walking Dead started right around now, too. You might have heard of it. Yeah, that, that Walking Dead, I think that might go somewhere. Sarcasm. To those... To, to say that these Green Lanterns are sort of just there is not really surprising to me. Whether or not you liked the developments of the mid-2000s, it did give the American comic scene a shot in the arm and got things moving again. But while not a surprise, it is a disappointment, as I would have much rather hear how these were diamonds in the rough waiting to be discovered. 
Still, I love the show, whether you're talking about great comics or poor comics or anywhere in between. And I'm savoring these last few because I know soon enough it'll be over. Keep on recording, and I'll keep listening. Well, Luke, thank you for listening. I'm glad that you're sticking through even this rough time that we're dealing with Ben Rabe and his comics. And, you know, it is almost towards the end. And as much as I'm trying to maintain a positive attitude with this story, and as much as I don't want to be negative, I kind of have to call it as it is. There are some story writing elements, some character developments that are just really bad. And it pains me that... I think this great era of, and and I think, again, overall, this era of Green Lantern comics that I've covered has been really superlative. And I think this may just be the bump in the road, the era where it's just not quite as good as it was before. Does it diminish the series as a whole? Does it absolutely destroy it? Not in the least, but it definitely is a road bump in the story and is a difficult part of having to get through it. I completely agree with you. A lot of the comics in this era were having some troubles. You know, it was those, it was the infusion of new writers like Jeff Johns over at DC and Brian Michael Bendis over at Marvel, who kind of changed the universes around. And as much as I enjoyed the nineties era, and I thought that, there was a really interesting vibe going through especially the DC universe at the time. Maybe they were needing a shot in the arm to get them started in a new direction. Whether or not you think that new direction has been fruitful or been a positive thing. But Luke, thank you again for writing in. Luke, as you know, or as you should know, runs a couple of uh, podcasts. He does Earth Destruction Directive, which is his podcast about daikaiju and tokusatsu japanese giant monsters and science fiction shows from the uh, far east great show definitely go check that out plus he's also the co-host of the vault of startling monster horror tales of terror with me and we just finished up the friday the 13th movies and uh, we're doing that with uh, the hair metal hero chris tyler we're doing with uh, chris honeywell the second host of tutor freaks myself and a new host jason jackadee who has some sort of relationship with luke i don't know what that is but check all of luke's shows out he is a great podcaster and a wonderful wonderful friend <sighs> delaying delaying getting into this comic like a band-aid let's rip it off and head into coverage of green lantern Number 174. Green Lantern number 174 was cover dated April 2004 and released on February 25th of 2004 with a cover price of 225 US and 350 in Canada. The title was Wanted Part 4. The writer was Benjamin Rabe. Penciler was Jamal Igel. Inker was John Dell. Colorist Moose Bowman. Letter was Jared K. Fletcher. The associate editor was Stephen Wacker. <laughs> Sorry. The editor was... Peter Tomasi, and cover art was by Karen Grant. On the observation deck of the Black Circle command ship, Maroon Shadowhawk, better known as Vasquez, but secretly known as Green Lantern Kyle Rayner, accepts his membership into the Black Circle by allowing leader Amon Sura to brand his hand with the symbol of the Syndicate. While this is going on, Kyle is projecting his consciousness to Kilowog and the former Lanterns and filling them in on his deep cover activities. 
Despite some misgivings from Shilandra, the former Lantern sets the ship's heading for Amonsur's base. Back on the flagship, Amon is showing Vasquez the fruits of membership in the Black Circle, including services provided by the supposedly rescued slave Tyna from a few issues back. Vasquez feigns a case of the Voldarian two-step and tries to leave but gets accosted by Amon's first officer and not Gamora, aka Karina. Vasquez says she'd better stow the smugness, and Karina says that even though he wears the mark of the Black Circle, he'll never be one of them. Vasquez agrees and uses the ring energy to remove the mark from his hand in a supposed empty area of the ship. Unfortunately, Vasquez didn't notice Shiro Nova standing right in front of him, and accusations of Vasquez being Green Lantern are made. Meanwhile, on Earth, Terry and David are paying a visit to the Berg home to let Terry's parents know about the couple's move to Los Angeles. Of course, Terry and David are welcomed with open arms, with Mr. Berg telling his son how much he wants to learn about the gay lifestyle and attend his going-away party. No, that doesn't happen. Instead, Mr. Berg slams the door in the couple's face, causing a dejected Terry to walk slowly away. At the car, David chides Terry for make, trying to make his peace with his homophobic family, but Terry says despite their views, they're still his family. Back on the flagship, Vasquez and Shiro size each other up, with Vasquez finally revealing himself as Green Lantern to Shiro. The Evan bounty hunter says that he wants to work with Kyle to take down the Black Circle, as they're holding his family hostage. Cal agrees to the arrangement, but is no sooner taken out by the laser whip of Not Gamora slash Karina. Amonsur thanks her for taking him out, and tells her that he knew about the deception all along, thanks to a friend who was sympathetic to their cause. Back again on Earth, Jenny and Marin are exiting a Valentine's Day showing of a series of romance films. The duo discuss their relationships as well as the parallels to the movies, and Marin tells Jenny that she needs to stop being mopey and live for the moment. This prompts Jenny to check in on Hottie McEmerald Fever slash Lucas to see what he's doing on this day dedicated to love. Phasing through the wall of his apartment, Jenny finds an empty bottle of wine on the coffee table and various clothes strewn across the floor. Jenny leaves, placing a construct rose in Hottie's face, which she finds after coming from the bedroom to grab another Viagra from his stash that he keeps in the living room. Moving swiftly away from that awfulness, we return to Kyle, being tortured by Karina, Amon, and his brain-sucking spider alien. Amon prepares to skewer Kyle with his lightsaber, but then who should show up at Kilowog and company? The bowl of Vaxian bashes some skulls while Shalandra and Benai try and find Kyle. But while Shalandra is marveling at the quantum singularity generator, Benai shows that she is the traitor that turned Kyle in as she uses her acid hand powers? When did she... Never mind. She uses her acid hand powers to blind Shalandra. Across the ship, Kilowog removes and Vaz make it to the control room, where the Quardians are about to fire up the QSG, while Kal rings up an Ajax Green Tornado in order to grab the sword from Anbon's hand and do his best Luke Skywalker, saying, let's finish this. In the control room, Kilowog smashes the panel he thought controlled the QSG, but the Quardians had a backup, and the quantum singularity generator starts, generating quantum singularities right near the sun on the Green Lantern homeworld, Oa.
despite my snarkiness, thankfully this was a better book than last time out. Still not a good book, but better, at least when it comes to the overall story. The parts with Jenny still make me want to kick a puppy. Which I would never do. But my god, it is infuriating how Ben Rabe writes that character. Now not only is she wanting to make the beast with two backs with haughty McEnroe fever, but she wants to do it despite him having another relationship with another girl. I cannot stand this. Does does Ben Rabe hate women? Was this a way to get her out of the book by having people despise her? I have no idea. However, on the bright side, we do get Jamal Igel to come in and do the art duties for this issue. And despite it not being his best work, I've seen a lot better in the stuff that we covered over on Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. This is a significant step up from the James Bosch, Jim Fern art that we had the past couple of issues. But let's go ahead and look into specific notes on the issue. Let's start with the cover. Of course, the cover again is by Karen Grant. It's an interesting cover. It's very orange. It's still got that sort of Karen Grant sort of abstract style that doesn't really doesn't really dissuade me from wanting to buy the book, but it definitely doesn't catch me as, you know, other covers would. Like I said, it's very orange. Uh, Shiro does happen to look more masculine than he does in any other time in the book, but other than that, it's not really a great cover. Page one, thinking further into the book where Benai burns Shalandra's eyes, maybe she actually uses the same device that Amon is using on Kyle, or Vasquez, he's not Kyle, to burn the black circle tattoo on his hand that he does with the other people. So maybe that explains Benai's acid hand powers, or maybe not. Maybe it's just more poor writing by Ben Rabe. Page three, Kyle is an awful, is just awful at deceit as he almost shows his hand here with his reaction about seeing Tyna, the slave girl that they were supposed to have rescued. I will admit, Eichel does a good job of making her look underage and mistreated, as he does with many of the slave girls on this page. Especially in this top panel, we see a bunch of the slave girls in this sort of cantina slash orgy type scene. And Eigel does a good job of drawing them as being malnourished and underage, and it it sets up the creep factor really well. Page four, panel five. Uh, obviously, Kyle has, much like a lot of tattoo owners, some buyer's remorse for getting the tattoo. But burning it off before you finalized everything with uh, taking out Amonsur probably isn't the brightest idea. Especially if we move on to page 5, if you burn it off right in front of Shiro Nova. I mean, seriously, there is no way that Kyle couldn't have noticed Shiro being in front of him. He's walking through the hall. Shiro is standing right there, sword in hand, the next moment pointing the sword at Kyle's throat. Was Kyle just absolutely blindsided and not looking where he's going? It's... Not only bad storytelling, it's it's good art, but it's bad storytelling. Kyle would have to be an idiot not to notice 
this person standing right in front of him because the way it looks in the panel, there is nowhere that Shiro could have popped out of somewhere or come up behind a corner or anything. It's just, it's bad. Pages six and seven. I am glad that Terry is least trying to make peace with his parents. David's rant on page seven is pretty self-centered saying that Terry should be respected because he's a public figure and has been on Oprah. That seems kind of to denigrate the idea of what Terry has gone through. And on the page seven, also we see that Terry taped a note for his mom and dad on the front door. And on the last panel, a hand, I'm assuming it's his mom because it looks like the fingernails are a bit more pointed and looks more feminine. There's a hand that comes out to retrieve the note. So hopefully David's mom will eventually sort of reconcile with David. I'm not certain. Like, again, I haven't read the next chapter or the next book, so I'm hoping that comes out. Page 8, I'm glad that Shiro wasn't trying to betray Kyle to Ammon. That's really good that he wanted to work with him. But then on the next page, page 9, not Gamora slash Karina traps both Kyle and Shiro with her laser whip. But after this, Shiro just goes away. He's completely written out of the story, and I don't know if we see him in the next issue or not. What happened to him? He was supposed to be this important part. Kyle was supposed to help him out, and then he's just written away for no apparent reason. Once again, sort of sloppy storytelling from Ben Rabe, which is becoming the norm rather than the exception. Pages 10 and 11, here's where I'm going to have the problem again. We get the scene with Moran and Jenny coming out of the theater after watching the sort of romantic movies and talking about it. Moran is saying that she and John are together but not having the best of times, which is fine. A lot of times relationships go through that. But Jenny is actively pursuing this guy, Lucas, despite the fact that he would screw around on her in a heartbeat. What is going on here? Was Again, I have to wonder if this was editorial's mandate to make Jenny completely unlikable so they could get her out of the book. Does Ben Rabe have this much hatred of a woman that this is the only way that he can write her? Like we've experienced before, I was talking to Michael Bradley about this, when we last experienced Ben Rabe writing the character of Jenny, it was in that Green Lantern Secret Files and Origins where she was fighting the big sort of mecha robot, uh, Mazinger, Shogun warrior type thing. And he wrote her to be a complete bitch in that as well. Why does he, does he just not like the character and want to see her fouled up like this? It's the one thing about this. Well, it's not the one thing, but it's the major thing about this run that frustrates me and irritates me so. Jenny was a great character, and I really enjoyed her. And what's being done to her now is just inexcusable. Page 13, I, I don't get this. Ammon puts this sort of brain spider on Kyle's head, and it's supposed to bore into his eyes to affect his memory or something. It's a deus ex machina that really goes nowhere. It's forgotten within the next scene, and you would think it would be something important. They involve. It feels like padding, I guess. And again, 
another sign of Ben Rabe not being the best storyteller. Page 15, panel 2. This is just a nitpick, and because I'm going through the book, I noticed this. Peter Tomasi missed that uh, the spelling of Benai on this page was wrong. Kilowog uh, is calling for Benai, or is calling for Shalandra and Benari, and it's spelled B-A-N, or B-Y-N-A-R-I, rather than B-Y-N-A-I. So, just a nitpick, but it's not the most egregious thing in this comic that gets on my nerves. Then on page 16, we're given the reveal that Benai was actually the traitor, and hopefully we'll find out some resolution to why she wanted to betray Shalandra like this. It seemed like she was going along with the plan, and it seemed more like Shalandra was going to be the one who was reluctant to do all this, but hopefully that'll be resolved. I doubt it, but who knows. But after that, I really don't have any notes until page 22, where we get another butt shot of Liana, as creepy as that is, as well as her new look, which doesn't seem to be the thong straps type thing, but a sort of thong cod piece that creeps up between her butt and seems to be metal and leaves a big diamond where her back is. It's just, it's weird. I can't stop staring at how creepy it is. I mean, the art on the rest of the page is really good. The look at the blind starting to destroy the Owen sun, which happens to be really close to the planet now. But yeah, Liana, I'm not happy with that character. Another average, I guess, you know, I guess for Ben Rabe, it would be above average, but another sub-average book for the Green Lantern run. Please, please advertisements in the book. Make me feel a little better about it. And fortunately, we do start out with a good game. This is Metroid Zero Mission for the, uh, well, this is for the Game Boy Advance. I'm sorry. Uh, I remember Metroid, I want to say Metroid 3 for the GameCube or the Nintendo 64. I think it was for the GameCube, but it was a really good game that I enjoyed playing. This is for the Game Boy Advance, so it's probably just a side-scroller type game. But Metroid was a lot of fun. Uh, and if you didn't know, the uh, the uh, protagonist in the game was a female. So, surprise, surprise. A few pages in, we get an advertisement for March 14th, 2004, 7 p.m. to midnight. We've got WrestleMania 20. I have no idea who uh, starred in WrestleMania 20, but uh, you could experience live on pay-per-view. Uh, sponsored by Snickers and Subway. Odd. I'm certain Luke Giaconetti and Jason Giaconetti could tell me everything that happened in WrestleMania, but I wasn't following it at the time. Sorry. Got another advertisement for the Juicy Fruit Mixed Up Gum. It's Graper Melon and Strappleberry. It's got the weird mutant hybrid fruit on there. No GMOs, everyone. Don't eat GMOs. They'll kill you. Yep. Uh... That's sarcasm. Uh, an advertisement for Sonic Heroes, which has the Sonic characters, I guess, being played by elderly men. I guess elderly men were the target audience for this new Sonic game. Sure, why not? Then we've got Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles. Not certain about this one. This looks more on the line of you know, Zelda Link to the Past type uh, animation style on the game. 
more sort of cartoony, I guess, chibi or chiba looking characters. I don't know. Um, it's not the sort of stylized Final Fantasy characters that I know from the original games. After that, we get a two-page slash for the truth, which is the anti-smoking thing, which is a bit more in your face than the uh, Tobacco is Wacko ads by, uh, I guess that was by Lillard, the uh, smoking group. Uh, it's a bit more, like I said, in your face and obnoxious with uh, some quotes saying every year 95% of people stop who try to stop smoking are not successful. The impact of nicotine is jacked up because tobacco companies add ammonia, the same stuff you clean with. Tobacco companies make billions a year feeding an addiction that they help create. And in as little as two weeks, nicotine changes into the brain's chemistry and addiction can begin. So don't smoke, kids. It's bad for you. Adults, go ahead and smoke all you want because you're an adult. Get an ad for the Alien Gear laptop and desktop. Talked about that. Then after that, a Dragon Ball GT trading card game. The Baby Saga? Unleash the Animal? I don't know about Dragon Ball GT. We got a Wicked Winter Sweepstakes, where I guess you could win a new Alienware Area 51N mobile gaming system. It's that laptop that we saw advertised earlier. It's uh, presented by City of Heroes, which... I remember being a sort of fun MMORPG, I believe, but I never played that, unfortunately. I I heard good things about it, though. So, City of Heroes, that's fun. The DC in Demand section is taking talking about the Brian Azzarello and Jim Lee story of uh, For Tomorrow, which I know is regarded as one of the best Superman stories ever written by some people. But for most people, regarded as crap. Then the back out to, the back inside cover is an advertisement for the Alias game, starring Jennifer Garner, who sadly is broken up with Ben Affleck at this time. <sighs> Sorry, Benifer. It was it was a good run, I guess. Then the back outside cover. Oh, great! It's that uh, Ben Burnquist or whatever. The skateboarding guy, forgotten milk, strong bones, weak gravity, jumping over the uh, the town from Poltergeist. <sighs> just one more issue, just one more issue, just one more issue. Yes, next time, the final issue in Ben Rabe's run. 175, it's a double-sized issue, so that means more... Things that Ben Rabe can screw up about the characters. Hopefully it won't be too much screwing up. But then thankfully after that, we've got Ron Mars coming back to the book, so there's something to look forward to. Unfortunately, 175 comes before that. So I hope you guys will come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys. Until then, everyone, try and forget this issue and have a good week. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. 
All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcome, too. As long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website, located at twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers, and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Two True Freaks Presents Just One of the Guys podcast, and you you can subscribe to the show there. You can search for me on Facebook as well, and now you can find me there, as it was a requirement of my new Demaza Core contract. But it doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Candy Crush group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Greenlander podcast. The opening music for today's show was the Ramones and their song, I Want to Be Sedated, which probably fits in with how most of you are feeling after you read this comic. If you'd like to buy this song, buy this album, or buy any other number of songs or albums from the Ramones, I'd suggest that you go first to Amazon.com through the link at TwoTrueFreaks.com. If you go to the website, TwoTrueFreaks.com, there's an Amazon banner in the left-hand corner. Click on that, and you'll be transported to Amazon, where you can buy the Ramones albums, the Sex Pistols albums, various other albums from punk bands, The Clash... Rancid. They're not really a punk band. They're sort of a modern punk band. Green Day as well, I guess. All of these bands would be good choices to buy. And when you buy through the link at tutorfreaks.com, a small amount of your purchase price goes back to the website. It won't cost you anything extra. You won't see anything taken out of your account aside from what you're paying for for the song or CD. However, because we are advertising with Amazon.com, Two True Freaks gives a little kickback, which helps the website out immeasurably. So anytime you're thinking about buying anything from Amazon.com, please feel the need to use the link at TwoTrueFreaks.com.